I don't know exactly how far we'll actually get. It depends, again, upon the, the heat and how well we can attend to this. But we're aiming for verse 20. So let's start with verse 1, Matthew chapter 10. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Let's pray. Father, we just read these things and we, I just ask myself, Lord, who is sufficient? Who is sufficient to be a, uh, a carrier, a vessel for the treasure of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. We know, Lord, that in ourselves we are not sufficient, but in Christ is our sufficiency. And Lord, we thank you again for the examples of the men and women that have come before us, the cloud of witnesses that encourage us to run the race that's been set before us, casting off all sin and, and the weight of those things that just weigh us down and and ensnare us, Lord, so that we might run with endurance. Father, I pray for each in this room that we would not be like the the soil of the heart that came up quickly and when it heard the Word of God and there was joy and then as soon as troubles came, it, it just got snuffed out, burnt out and because there was no root. Father, I pray that we would be rooted and grounded in Your Word. And rooted and grounded in your love. And this morning, Lord, we just ask that you um, speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Change our lives, Lord. Deal with those issues that we brought in here today that are heavy on us, Lord. Give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. 
And Lord, equip us further to do the work you've called us to do. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Sorry, I keep brushing here against my microphone. So there, I think, is that better? Yeah? Okay. Uh, maybe some of you have, <coughs> excuse me, known people that are <coughs> perpetual students. They just seem like always getting more degrees and more degrees and going to school for this, then going to school for that, and going to school for the other thing, and never quite actually getting to work. Uh, I think having been in school, uh, various levels of school, I think it is, it is nice to learn those things, to be the student, but isn't there sort of a goal for learning? Isn't there sort of a direction we go? We want to put that learning to work eventually. There's an old Chinese proverb that goes like this, tell me and I'll forget, show me and I may remember, involve me and I'll understand. And that's what we see happening in chapter 10. It's the chapter where Jesus the healer, Jesus the teacher, becomes Jesus the sender. He has been teaching his disciples. The Sermon on the Mount, he laid out many truths and and, uh, things for them to learn. He's been teaching them by example. He's been showing them as they were there with him when he raises the daughter of Jairus, when he cleanses the leper, when he heals the blind. The disciples are traveling with him, watching him. He had taught them, he had shown them, but now he is going to involve them. But not just involve them, he will further equip them for the work he's called them to do. And in the church, I believe that's a good general principle. There's a reason we come here. The church is not a, uh, a retirement home, as they say. The church is an equipping station. This is a, where you, you, you are partially equipped for the work that God has you to do. Matter of fact... Paul tells this to Timothy, he says, all scripture is God-inspired and profitable for doctrine, rebuke, reproof, and training in righteousness so that the man of God can be complete, fully equipped for something, for every good work. So God's desire for you and for your life is much like that of the disciples that we read about here. His desire is to equip you so that we can go out and be his ambassadors, his representatives, in the world, and equipped and ready to do something, to be involved, not just to be a spectator in ministry. Does that make sense? Somebody shake their head yes. Okay, good. We're together. I know it's hot. Um, So that's what we see happening in chapter 10. Uh, I called this chapter also the lesser commission. How many of you have heard of the great commission? Matthew 28, you know, go and and make disciples of all nations. Well, this is going to be a a commission, but not on that scale. And we'll see that as we go through. So, Jesus, the sender in chapter 10. So when he had called his disciples, his 12 disciples, excuse me, to him, that's in verse 1, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Now, he had a large group of disciples following them. Luke makes this more clear. He says, from them, he chose 12. So what we're reading wasn't for all the disciples. We don't know how many disciples there were at that time. But what we're reading here did not apply to all of them. Only this select group that Jesus, after spending all night in prayer, and I'm thinking, man, this is the group he got after praying all night? But he spent all night in prayer, and he selects these 12 specific disciples to make apostles. Now, 
that's hard for the Western mind, for the way we think, because we live in a society where everything's supposed to be fair and equal. Well, why can't I be an apostle? Why can't I do that? How come he's doing that and I'm not doing that? Why do they get chosen and not me get chosen for that? Do you know how that goes? But we're a body, folks. We're the body of Christ. Some are apostles. Are all apostles? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. So when we look at what other people are doing, we can easily get frustrated and discouraged and feel cheated. Well, it's not fair. They get, they get to go out, you know. And they're probably going, oh, we don't want to go out. You know, <laughs> we want to stay here. It's always that way. The people that are doing this work want to do that work, and the people doing that work want to do this work. And we're just, we struggle with contentment and just what God has called us to do. So there was a whole bunch of disciples not called to go out at this time and in this way. There will be other, uh, there will be 70 that are sent out two by two. These are sent out two by two in pairs and teams. But he calls these 12 disciples, and, and that's what they were first and foremost. They were disciples. They were learners. They had been listening, soaking it in, soaking it up. And then he gives them power. Oh, that's just that's a dangerous thing to give people power, especially this group of guys. He calls them to himself and he gives them power. Now, a little bit scholastic here for a minute. There are about four four to six words that can be translated power in the Bible, especially in the in the old King James. The primary word we see uh, translated as power is the Greek word dunamis, and it means ability, the ability to do something. This was the word. When, the, when Jesus asked the blind men, do you believe that I am able to do this? That's the word dunamis, which means do you believe that I have the ability, the power to do this? That I'm able, that I'm capable. And they said, yes, Lord. And that's one word, the ability to do something. This word here, when he says he gave them power, it's a different word. It's the word exousia. And it's the second most uh, translated word as power in the Bible. But in the New King James and some of the newer versions, it's better translated as authority. And this is what it means, if you like to take notes. The power of choice, delegated authority, jurisdiction, or permission to act. Now, now you guys understand exousia if you work in the medical field. There are RNs, there are MDs, there are LPNs. And they all have different levels of exousia or delegated authority by the medical board or by the nursing board or by that hospital. For instance, I've known many nurses that had, a, you know, they had been doing it 12, 13, 20, 25, 30 years. So they knew how to do a lot of stuff. They knew what a patient might need. And they'll call the doctor who's only, a res, you know, he's only been uh, doing his practice for maybe two, three years. And so sometimes the nurse may know more. And she'll say, I think that the patient really needs this. And they go, oh, okay. And then, but that nurse can't write the prescription. No matter how much she knows, she doesn't have the exousia. She has the dunamis. She can grab a pen and she can grab that script sheet and she can write. She has the ability to write the prescription, but she doesn't have the exousia, the authority to write the prescription. Or maybe law enforcement. How many of you guys have ever wanted to make a citizen's arrest? Oh, yeah. I wanted to get one of those lights. It's got the magnet. You put it in your glove compartment. And when you see, it's often, I don't know why, I see guys on motorcycles. And man, so many times I just want to make a citizen's arrest. I want to pull out the light. And just jam on the accelerator, catch up, pull them over, come on, pull over, buddy, pull over. Do you know how fast you were going? You know, give them the whole routine. And, and they'll say, well, who are you? Say, well, I'm Steve. I'm a pastor down at Calvary Chapel. Well, wait a second. 
What do you mean you're a pastor? You can't pull me over. You don't have the exousia. You don't have the authority. I don't have the badge. I haven't been through the, um, the ceremony to have that uh, power conferred to me by the state to, do, to represent the state that way. You see, that's exousia. Interestingly, in Acts chapter 19, we see a situation where the Apostle Paul is being used tremendously for uh, miracles being done and other itinerant uh, Jewish exorcists, people that uh, were trying to also cast out demons. Uh, it says, verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, listen to this, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. You see, they were trying to take the exousia, the authority for themselves, but Jesus had never given it to them. So they couldn't do it. And this is the funny thing that said. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Just like the guy on the motorcycle, who are you? You don't have any authority over me in this area. I could be wrong about this, but I think this is the struggle for some of our school teachers. I think they have ability to teach, but they lack in their classroom exousia, authority to discipline, authority to manage. I could be wrong about that, but that's just an observation. But that can be very frustrating when we don't have that exousia. So to be sent out, matter of fact, Luke tells us in this about the same passage that not only did they have exousia, but they also had dunamis. They had been given both the power, in other words, the authority, the delegated authority to do these things, and they'd also been given the ability. Because that would be pretty frustrating, wouldn't it? If you had, like, authority to do something but no power to do it. I mean, then Jesus says, hey, you can go ahead and cast out demons, and they go to do it, and they just can't do it. They don't have the ability. But actually, they've been given both. But interestingly, when we get to the book of Acts, chapter 1, these same disciples, these same now apostles, are told to wait in Jerusalem and don't go out to engage in ministry until the Spirit has been poured out and that they would receive power, and that is the word dunamis, not exousia, to be witnesses. So whatever is happening here, it seems to be of a limited scope and a limited time because, again, if it wasn't, then they wouldn't have had to wait in Jerusalem. Man, they got power, they got authority, go get them. But something else happened there at Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out on all flesh, not just for a temporary uh, situation, but for all time, for all people available to them. So there was also um, a limit to this. It's interesting to, to study that out. But the power was over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. And by the way, first they're called disciples. Now they're called apostles. An apostle is simply one who is sent out. That's it, one who is sent out. They've been, they're being sent out by Jesus. And here are their names. Simon, who we love. Don't we love Peter? Simon, who is called Peter. Jesus changes his name from shifting sand to, to rocky or to stone, a stone. We appreciate him because we see a lot of ourselves in him. Quick to speak and slow to listen. It tries to instruct Jesus in how to do ministry and what Jesus should and shouldn't do. He gets rebuked by Jesus. Ouch, that hurts. But he gets restored by Jesus. I like, he's the, they call the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. 
his brother Andrew. By the way, Peter, he's always first. When we see these lists of disciples and apostles, he's always first. Judas is always last in the list. And it's interesting to me that Peter is first. He has some leadership among the leaders. He's a leader among leaders. He's the one that speaks at Pentecost and steps up to the plate there. But Andrew is his brother. And Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist when John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Then Andrew began to follow Jesus. And guess what? It was Andrew that brought, G- um, that brought Peter to Jesus. And yet it's Peter that gets the lead role. Maybe that's someone like, maybe you've been frustrated in that way. Maybe you led someone to Jesus and then they went on in ministry and just continued to walk very closely with the Lord and had a powerful ministry. Maybe you feel bad because, well, I brought them to Jesus. I mean, I should get credit for that. You know, somebody led Billy Graham to Christ. And they're going, man, you know, I should get credit for that. Bob Coy down in South Florida, church of about 20, 25,000 people, was on staff at Calvary Chapel Spring Spring Valley in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's not such a big church. And the pastor there... You know, raised him up, trained him up. Then he goes out, starts his own church. The thing just explodes. And so that's kind of this relationship, Andrew and his brother Peter. James and John, we know about these guys, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus called them while they were mending their nets. These were the sons of thunder. Right? They, had, they, they needed anger management classes. You know, they were ready. When, when, if you didn't accept Jesus, I mean, they were ready to pull an Elijah on you. They're going to call down fire from heaven and burn you up if you don't want Jesus. I mean, these guys had anger issues. And they're always... But it's interesting, you know, truthfully, if you're not engaged in some type of ministry, you miss out on a chance for God to grow you. Because sometimes God uses a person, a man, a woman, to grow a ministry. And sometimes God uses a ministry to grow a man or a woman. Because this same Apostle John probably the youngest of the apostles, who was ready to call down fire on the Samaritans for not accepting Jesus, is the apostle that becomes known as the apostle of love. What a transformation. You read his, his uh, epistles, 1 John. He talks about the love of God. And this we know love, because he laid down his life, life for us. And so somehow, although not there yet, through his ministry, through walking with the Lord, through ministering to people, he becomes the apostle of love. Radical transformation. I've seen God work in my life in very similar ways, just teaching me, growing me through the ministry. Philip, also from the same city as Andrew and Peter, instrumental in bringing the next guy, Bartholomew or Nathaniel, to Christ. Uh, Nathaniel's an interesting one. He was both a stereotyper and judgmental. He's the one when he heard the Messiah was from Nazareth, He's the one that said, eh, can anything co- good come out of Nazareth? I mean, I know people from Nazareth, and there's, there's nothing good there. I mean, that's like picking a, you know, can anything good come out of, uh, you know, Buckingham or, or Fluvanna or whatever, you know? He's st- very stereotypical and judgmental. And after a whole night in prayer, that's what he gets. You know, that's, uh, he's one of the twelve. Thomas, doubting Thomas, a twin. Matthew, the tax collector, the cheapskate, the cheat probably had gotten very wealthy but left all to follow jesus many of the i mean can you imagine dinner time around the table with these guys i mean he's he was a cheat he cheated people out of their income he was an irs agent 
And nobody liked these guys. They were like the low bar. You know, if Jesus would even eat with tax collectors, that's, whoa, tax collectors, really? I mean, that's low. And that was Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus, Levius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite. Now, that's not a man from Canaan. A Canaanite is an Aramaic word that means zealous or zealot. This guy was a terrorist. He would, when there was a crowd, he was very anti-Rome. These are all Jewish guys, by, by the way, all Jewish men. When uh, crowds would gather for, in support of Rome or when Roman gatherings would happen, these guys would wear cloaks and carry knives and go through the crowd and assassinate people that were supporters of Rome. Those were the zealots. He was a rebellious, renegade terrorist against Rome. What a great guy. I mean, if I'm choosing 12, well, let's, well, finally, and the last one, he really hits a home run, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You'd think he'd know better. But you guys know, I say that in jest, it was all part of God's plan. So be careful. I mean, would we have chosen any of these? These are fishermen. There's not a rabbi, a Pharisee, a professional scribe among them. Not one. They are, as John MacArthur wrote, 12 ordinary men 12 ordinary men untrained uneducated but they are going to spend time they're going to be in the seminary of jesus christ the best seminary you can go to spending time with jesus be careful of using human wisdom you know i'm not saying not be to not be wise but i'm saying sometimes if we were sitting down to put together a list of 12 people we wanted to represent us these might not, I wonder if any of them would have made it as elders in Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna. We'd have gone, now, Peter, you know, do you hear that guy? You know, he's big and he's, you know, he's strong, but he only knows how to do his fish. You know, what does he know about the Bible? I'm not sure we should select him. And, you know, he always, he can't keep his mouth shut. And I don't think he'd represent us well. I don't think he'd represent the Lord well. And, and then there's James and John. I mean, they keep getting in fights with people and they're just so angry all the time. I don't think we should use them. But again, sometimes you have to look past what a person is and see what they can become in Christ. And what, who better to send out than people that know how to fish, that are patient, that know how to wait, that know how to use bait and catch a fish. I mean, and so in some ways, we have to think past the obvious. And so Jesus prays and, and picks these uh, representatives, and now he is going to... Uh, send out and instruct these representatives. Verse 5 says, then uh, these 12 Jesus sent out. Now, interestingly, he had told them, you know, he's giving them power and authority to do what he said. But do you think they were nervous? You think they were a little hesitant? I mean, look, this is Jesus, you know. He's casting out demons. He's healing the blind. We've never done that. So right now, as they go out, all they have is power in theory. They're supposed to have it, but they don't know. Can you imagine the first time they come up to, as a team, as two, two of them go out, there's James and John, and there's a dead person. And they say, gulp, I don't know if we can do it. I mean, I know Jesus said we have the power to do it, but I don't know if we can do it. You ever felt that way? You know, you ever felt that hesitation in ministry like, ah, I know I'm called to this, but I don't know if I can do it. I mean, and then you, when you finally engage, you find the very thing God wanted you to discover all along, that God is faithful. 
that God is faithful. So I think they were probably nervous. I think they probably questioned the wisdom of the decision. I mean, look, it's been working great, Jesus. I mean, we're following you. You're the head man. You're the lead guy. You're, you're doing the work. You're, you're casting out the demons. You're healing. And, and we're here. We're, we're clapping for you. Golf clap. You know, we'll clap for you, Jesus, and, and we'll learn from you. But, you know, but we don't want to go out. Let's not change horses in this race just yet. I imagine they were probably hesitant. And that may be some of your hesitancy for getting out and doing. You, you come in Sunday morning and you learn. And you come Wednesday night or you go Thursday night or you go to the Truth Project and you go to these places and, and you say, oh, look at all that I'm learning. You know what I learned at the Truth Project? If you've taken the Truth Project, you learn a lot. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with what you're learning? Are you telling others? Are you sharing what you're learning? If you don't use it, you'll lose it. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. And the more you use it, the more God gives you. So the encouragement is, look, these are 12 ordinary people like you and like me. Maybe even less ordinary than us. I don't know. They were ordinary people. And they asked themselves that same thing. Who is sufficient for these things? How can we do the things that Jesus did? Well, he gave them power. He gave them authority. But he did not give them complete autonomy. Look at the next verse. He gave them, or he sends them out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. So he doesn't give them full autonomy. He gives them instruction. Look, you guys are going to represent me. And they're going, yeah, we know, we understand that. We're nervous. <clears throat> Here's how I want you to do it. Here's where I want you to go. Here's where I don't want you to go. Jesus is still in charge. So he says, I don't want you to go to the Samaritans. I don't want you to go to the Gentiles. Yet, that will come later. But the first to the Jews. First to your own people. Sometimes your, your ministry has to start in your own family. The people under your own roof. Those that are who you are. You know, before you go to Ukraine, go next door. Start, bloom where you're planted and share the things of God there. So don't go to these places, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Look how God describes, Jesus describes God's people. They were like lost or really destroyed or ruined sheep. Now, this is very specific. The way he says this is very specific. Jeremiah 50, verse 6. God, speaking of himself, says, My people have been lost sheep. Ezekiel 34. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. They don't feed the flock. They just fleece the flock. They're not binding up what's been broken. They're not going out to gather in the sheep that have been lost. They're not caring about the flock. And he says, Woe to them. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. And he goes on to say, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. And in that passage, there is implication not just for Israel, but for, for other nations as well. And so that's who we are. We are these lost sheep that God himself, we are ambassadors pleading with people on behalf of God to be reconciled to God. That, that people are like lost sheep, destroyed sheep, being torn apart, eaten up, wandering over the hills. Anybody know someone that's wandering over the hills? Kind of, let's see what's over this hill. Oh, let's see what's over that hill. And there's no definite direction 
in life, no purpose, no, no place. And God says, I see that my people... So he's claiming again to be that shepherd. God says, I'm going to raise up one shepherd to feed the flock. And Jesus says, I am that shepherd. And you are my co-shepherds, my under-shepherds. We are going to together bring back the flock of God. Isn't that a great vision for church? Isn't it? We'll, we'll get to that as we go on. So, and as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, this is the thing they've been waiting for. This is the thing they've been looking for. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. What a mission. I mean, if it was me, like, I'm the one that, like, clean the toilets, you know. Ah, okay. We, we have a crummy mission, you know. But this is a great mission. This is, can you imagine being able to walk into the hospital and clear the place out? Just given that power and that authority to do that. And look what he says. And here's the, he addresses a, a danger here. Freely you have received, freely give. That's huge. Again, they're going to have to do this a certain way because they are representing God. And what they, the way they don't want to represent God or the way Jesus does not want to be represented as greedy or that everything comes with a price. Because next to freely, you can write this word undeservedly. Undeservedly. Could any of them say, I mean, we don't know why he chose these 12, but could any of them say it was because of their great merit, their wonderful education, their years of rabbinical schooling and studying the scriptures? No. He, they were given power. They were given authority. They were given gifts. They were called undeservedly. It's grace. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. It's grace in my life, it's grace in their life, it's grace in your life. God didn't call you, didn't gift you, didn't equip you, didn't give you ministry to do because you're so great at it. Because of grace. Because of grace. The Apostle Paul, one of my favorite passages in 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul recognized this guy was a terrorist himself against the church and yet God called him. And he recognizes, he says, I am the least of all the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called. When's the last time you got up and said, Lord, I know I'm not even worthy to be a Christian. I'm not even worthy to be part of the church, your body of Christ. But Paul, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. And then he says these great words. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Every time you look in the mirror, just say those by the grace. Because we're always worried about what we're not. Oh, God, why didn't you make me like that person? Why didn't you make me like that? Why is my hair this way? Am I, why am I not taller? Why am I not shorter? You know, but look, by the grace of God, you are what you are. And then Paul goes on. He says, this grace in my life will not be in vain. I will work harder than anyone else. So that God's grace in my life is not empty and void. I pray that God's grace in your life is not in vain. So freely you have received. And so the result of that, because nobody, because Jesus didn't say, all right, uh, casting out demons, that'll cost you a hundred bucks. Healing the sick, well, that's 200. Lepers, man, you got a thousand bucks, I'll give you that power. He gave them it freely. And so he says, look, you give it freely. There's a great danger of greed in ministry. It's a great danger of greed everywhere. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul writes. All kinds of evil. So it's a very dangerous place in ministry. There's, there can be a feeling of entitlement. Oh, don't, don't you see what I'm doing? I deserve. I should receive. And we see that in the sons of Eli in the Old Testament. Hophni and Phinehas were taking from the people. 
And so the idea is here that you give what you have from the Lord free of charge. You don't charge people for it. You don't demand from people compensation that way. You give freely. Now, I think one of the dangers the church faces is we have this emphasis on more is better. Is more always better? Sometimes it's best just to do the, the one thing you've been given to do and do it well. Do it with excellence, that one thing, whatever it is. Because here's the problem. The church has this idea that more is better. More is better. Somehow, if we grow, if we get bigger, if we do more ministry, but we exceed God's provision for us. Because where God guides, He provides. So we have a certain amount of finances, resources, human resources, people, money, and we want to minister to the fullest capacity with what we've been given. But then what happens is we say, well, we want to do more. So we stretch out and we try to do more and try to do more. and try. So then we begin to have to demand from the flock for this more, more ministry. And I believe it's difficult. I believe it's a challenge for the church because then all of a sudden our message, the church is attached to always demanding money from people. And that is why we have made a stand. I mean, just our decision, not saying it's wrong in general, but we've made a stand uh, not to de-emphasize finances, but not to overemphasize the need, the need either. We minister with the fullest capacity we can with what God puts on your hearts to give willingly. That's why we don't pass a plate. Because we want you to give willingly. You see, he says to them, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts. I mean, don't take a bunch of money with you. Nor bag nor for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. I mean, don't pack a, a suitcase or a, or a lunchbox. A scrip is a leather bag that a shepherd would carry some food in. You know, don't take extra clothing. Don't take extra second pair of shoes. I mean, if I'm sending out guys to represent me, I'm saying, okay, don't forget your flashlight, your toothbrush, you know, your alarm clock. I know you, Peter, you, you like to sleep in. And you take your credit card just in case you run into emergencies. And you, it's the Middle East, you've got to have sunscreen. You know, you've got to have these things. But talk about traveling light. It's a trip. If you ever watch like, the, the movie Gandhi about his life, I mean, this guy traveled in the way Jesus is telling his disciples to travel. He, he, said when, he would go and meet with Winston Churchill. I mean, here's this little petite Indian guy wearing a, you know, a, a thing that he's woven himself, some type of cloth that he's woven himself, and he's got a goat with him because he milks his own goat for goat milk. And they ask him, Gandhi, he always traveled third class. He didn't have his own airplane, and, and he was a diplomat. They said, Gandhi, why do you travel third class? Assuming that he could travel first class. He said, oh, because there's no fourth class. I just like that mentality. And that's how Jesus' disciples are supposed to go out. Not, I mean, these are just, they're announcing the kingdom for the king. They could be demanding. They could expect the best hotels and the finest places and all those things. Luxury. Jesus says, that wouldn't represent me. That wouldn't represent me. For a worker, it's worthy of his food. See, that's what they're supposed to learn. When they're out there doing spiritual work, if they do their job well, you know, when someone casts a demon out of your mom or your dad or your father-in-law or whatever it is, you know, I knew something was wrong with them all along. It's about time. You know, you're thankful. You want, what can I do? So it's not that they were never to receive anything. It's that they weren't to oblige people to compensate them. But when people gratefully and graciously wanted to, they could certainly receive it. 
There was no problem with that. A worker is worthy of his food. So you don't have to refuse compensation. As a matter of fact, Jesus had women that followed him, Mary and Salome, and these women that followed him and provided for his needs. And so that's just a simple principle in the Bible. It's not demanding on the front side, but receiving willingly those that want to support and give on the back side. So let's just go. I know you guys are it's heating up a little bit. Do you have like a few more minutes in you? Okay. All right. So everybody go like this if we've got a few more minutes. Okay. If someone next to you is asleep, just hit them and, or just grab their head and shake it up and down. So at least with, I think we're all together. So we move on. Uh, we've seen these instructions about how they're to go out, how they're to travel. Verse 11 says, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who it is worthy and stay there till you go out. Again, the implication is you're not supposed to find the best residence. Not stay in the nicest places. Hospitality is a very important part of Middle Eastern culture. Uh, the inns, the, the Catalumas, were dangerous places. Prostitution might be there. Uh, there might be uh, thieves or robbers there. So it was very customary in the Middle East, even still today, to be able to be housed in somebody's house, not in a, in a Motel 6 or a Motel 8 or a Motel 12 or whatever they are, wherever they're leaving the light on for you. I don't know which one that is, but... It was customary when you brought a person into your home, they were treated like family. And they would eat first, and they would come under your protection when they were home, when they were in your home. And so hospitality was a very important thing. And so it was common uh, for people to be taken into your house. And with these guys being spiritual men, they might have even expected to receive a blessing for having housed a spiritual man, a spiritual teacher, or a rabbi of of some uh, some sort. So whoever require inquire who is worthy. Now, what makes a household worthy? Well, we learn that down in verse 14. One who receives you and hears your words. That's who not not like, all right, how much you got? How nice? Let me let me get the get the cloth out, take the dust. Oh, no, can't stay here. This would never be up to kingdom standards. Look, if someone I don't care if they live in a rat hole. If they're willing to hear your words and receive your message of the kingdom at hand, then you go and you stay with them. And don't look for better places. Don't, hey, then some guy comes up and he's got a nicer place. And you go, ooh, I'm, I'm staying in a rat hole now. People are nice, but it's, man, it smells and it's dirty and it's not that nice. So I'm going to go, I appreciate your help, but I'm going to go over to this place over there. Are we about better or are we about needier? I mean, we're about... Who's, who's got the need? Not what's my need. Who's got the need? And they're not like traveling salesmen, not quantity over quality. This, you know, look, whatever city or town you enter, see who's worthy, who will receive, who is open, and stay there till you go out. I mean, just stay there. Hang out with those people. Have dinner with them. Spend some time in discussion with them. Invest yourself in them. And when you go into a household, Greet it. I mean, bless the house. Give them a customary etiquette uh, greeting. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So again, you know, if, if the house is worthy, stay there. If they want to hear, if they want to know, stay and share. There's just some blessings when you hang out with people for more than two hours. You know, Sorry, got to go. Got more, more houses to get to. Just invest. And if it's not worthy, don't try to push it. Don't try to, to pressure. Don't try to, don't, 
Look, don't waste your time. Don't cast your pearls before swine, Jesus said. Look, when we go to the downtown mall, mall, Warren will attest to this, there are some that you meet that are just ready to receive. I mean, Catherine and Madeline and and, um, I think Leanne, you were with that group, right? You were chairing, and this one young man was just interested. And you spent, those guys spent maybe 30 minutes with that one person. You think, man, that's a lousy, what a waste of time. We could have spoken to 10 or 12 people. But he was absorbing. He was thinking it through. He was contemplating what he was being told. And then you come to people that that just brush you off, that blow you off. They don't want, no, thank you, sorry, gave it the office, you know, whatever. They don't want to hear it. Don't chase them down. Don't try to convince. Move on. Move on. Go spend your time. And look, invest your time in people that want it. That's a great ministry rule. You know, share with people that are not, and if they're not interested, look, move on. And as this is exactly what Jesus is going to say. Whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. That was when, when a pious Jewish person was traveling through a Gentile area. When they got back into the Holy Land, into Jerusalem, they didn't even want to bring the Gentile or the non-Jewish, the unholy dirt into their land. So they would get to the border and they would, uh, going through customs, they would, you know, shake out the shoes, all the dust, the dirt off their shoes to make sure nothing unholy or impure was coming in. That was a belief that they had. It was a way that they uh, practiced. And so that's what Jesus is saying. If someone won't receive you, look, you shake off the dust from your shoes. You know, sort of like, hey, look, you can't say we didn't tell you so. But you know what? We're, we've done our job. We're, we're, we've shared the message. And if you don't want to receive it, look. Whatever happens to you, when judgment comes, you can't say you hadn't ever heard. And I think that's a good note uh, as we close for today. For today, You know, look, if you're here this morning, we're telling you Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you may go out of here, you may receive that or you may not receive that. And that's why we bring to people the whole counsel of the word of God. Because I am, we are responsible And we can say, look, we didn't shun. I didn't shun, Lord, from bringing them the whole counsel of your word. And whether or not you receive it is up to you. Finally, he ends, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in in the day of judgment than for that city. And again, the implication is, look, Sodom and Gomorrah had not seen the miracles. Sodom and Gomorrah had not seen the healings that you folks have seen at this time with Jesus in your presence. You haven't seen those things. Sodom and Gomorrah had less light to illuminate them. We have this, you know, we have, we are so resource rich. We have CDs and DVDs and television teachings. And you, I mean, you can hear the word of God over your XM radio and on the internet. And we have so many resources. And for a person to reject Jesus Christ in our day and age, They are rejecting a tremendous amount of light. We live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of the disciples and the apostles and their testimony on the day of Pentecost. And and here were guys that were going away from Jesus that had given up. Well, it was a great thing while it lasted. I guess it's over. They were scared. They were hiding. And all of a sudden, they're sacrificing. What happened in their lives? Paul said there were 500 witnesses and more to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To reject Jesus Christ in our day and age is to reject a lot of brightness, 
a lot of light and a lot of understanding. So, you know, again, uh, we'll get, you know, read ahead and we'll see the, the continuation of this, these instructions to those that are sent out. But I want to encourage you. What are you doing with what you're learning? Are you letting God, when, when, when the army calls you up, when the military calls you into duty, they say, Steve, we need you to go to Iraq. Man, now's not a good time. You know, the, the game's on tomorrow. I've got a luncheon with my boss next week, a big business meeting. I, can you, let's, how about next week or next year? You know, I just, not a good time. Can you say that? No, because they own you. They own you. You've signed over and they can tell you, they, they have the authority in your life to tell you where to go and what to do. And you'd say, yes, sir. The Bible says, look, we were bought with a price. Our life is not our own. When Jesus Christ sends you, you go. When Jesus Christ calls you into service, you do it. You don't say, ah, you know, man, it's Sunday and nap time. And, you know, again, the Tour de France is on this afternoon. And, you know, we've got stuff to do. Look, you will never regret it. Again, in heaven, when, when you're standing on those streets of gold, the money that you would have made for that deal won't matter. If you were the top salesman that month, it won't matter. What you want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Enter into my rest. Keep it in perspective. And, and all this learning, you know, we at Calvary Chapel, you guys are well-educated. So we have all, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. Of all people in the body of Christ, uh, again, as being part of the Calvary Chapel movement, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching, soaking in it all, I think we have a greater responsibility. Rather than pointing fingers at other churches as to what they're not doing or what they should be doing, I think the responsibility rests on us to get out and put to work what we've been given. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, I just pray you make this word sink into people's hearts, Lord, into my heart. I pray that we would learn and and heed the lessons uh, that we're seeing about just how you want to be represented, the things that truly represent you. And Lord, we want to be ambassadors that represent you. Lord, we know that in many ways you have gotten a bad reputation because of people that have misrepresented you. Lord, and I pray that you would show us, search our hearts. I pray like David for us, search our thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in us, Lord, and lead us in the way everlasting. We don't want to just be tools on the shelf, Lord, but sharpened through the Master's use. I pray, just as we pray now, if there's anyone in here who's had that, that thing, that burden, that they've been ignoring or putting off. Father, I pray that they would embrace that at any cost. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.